I never would have thought that I triggered a phenomenon of craving. I just thought I changed my mind. You know, that after a couple of drinks, you know what? I've decided to stay. And there's always a new plan. I'll leave in 30 minutes. I'll meet you for dinner. I'll be there tomorrow. But the end result is always disastrous. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Howdy, howdy, body, body. That was the voice of Mr. Charlie P that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you will be hearing so much more from him on this here, episode number 176 of... Sober speak, but first things first, this episode right here is brought to you by Bill and Kim and Hillary and Catherine and Anna. Do you know what Bill and Kim and Hillary and Catherine and Anna did? Well, let me tell you. They went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the little PayPal tab at the top right of the screen, and they made a contribution. Thank you so much, Bill and Kim and Hillary and Catherine and Anna for allowing me to keep the virtual lights on. This episode is coming right out to youans. I... John M., just another bozo on the bus, will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in, so take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. And I want to say this, no matter who you are or what your past looks like, you are welcome here. It is an open table, and we are glad you are here with us. If you're not following us on Instagram, we are at 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 SoberSpeak, all one word. It is at SoberSpeak, all one word, S-O-B-E-R-S-P-E-A-K. And if you're not following or if you're not in our super secret Facebook group and you would like to be, just send me your email that's associated with your Facebook account to John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. We'll get that invite out to you, and we would love to have you in there with us if you are not there already. And keep this in mind, if you're in there already, and you're listening to this, and you want to invite 
other friends or family members into the group, you can do that. Sometimes people don't know they can actually invite others in, but you can. So just keep that in mind. So you say to me, John M., I am new to the podcast, and you have so many episodes out there. Which one should I listen to first? Well, I can tell you this. If you go to our website and you look at the tab on top uh, or one of the pages on her website, on the homepage, it says top episodes. And it doesn't mean, when I say top episodes, that just means that you guys, you voted on what the top episodes were, and we put the top 20 out there. And so this may be a good place to start for you. So once again, it's on the website, and it says top episodes on one of the tabs. And you could go there and you can figure out, and also you can figure out if who you voted for actually made the list, if you want to go look at that. What else do I have? Oh, here's another thing that we put on the website this week. The lovely Mrs. M has been very busy. She's been at work, and I'm so appreciative that she does this. Um, she put another tab on the website this week, and it is called Sober Resources. And if you go there, you can see we've got AA, we've got Al-Anon, I've got some other podcasts listed on there that we recommend. Uh, and we also have the information, because somebody had written in a couple weeks ago, and they said, hey, John, I want to come to that recovery yoga class, but I'm not on the Facebook, and I don't know how to get the information, and I don't see it on your website. And I thought to myself, self, we should have that on the website. So it is on the website now. Um, if you click on that tab, Sober Resources, you will see the Recovery Yoga, which is on Sundays from 4 to 5 Central PM. And it will have the the sign-in information there, the Zoom ID and the passcode that goes along with that. And just as a reminder, the recovery yoga session is on the front end. It is a meeting. You don't have to be an Alcoholics Anonymous. You don't have to be an Al-Anon. You don't have to be in anything to come to it. Just maybe interested in recovery. But if you come in, you can kind of see what a meeting is like. So the first half of it is a meeting. And then the second half of it is a 12-step excuse me, is a, is a meditation and yoga. And it's usually led by Megan P and she does an absolutely fantastic job. All right. So one more thing before I get on to the episode of the week with Charlie P. And I want to give a shout out to the Oxford Big Book meeting group in Oxford, Connecticut. Janice P. was uh, gracious enough to invite me to speak at their group here this last week, and it was an absolute pleasure to see them. I always enjoy getting to see people um, you know, that, that, that are, that are fans of the podcast and also just people out there in general in the world. And, uh, you know, nowadays we, we don't get to see as many people don't get to travel as much, but at least we have zoom and we can share our stories that way. So anyway, thank you to the Oxford big book group in Oxford, Connecticut. Connecticut. And thank you again to Janice P for inviting me in. All right. So now on to Mr. Charlie P. And the, natal, uh, the, the title of this episode is, I Thought I Just Changed My Mind. Charlie P is from Austin, Texas. He has been sober since 
1985. We spent some time discussing Charlie's home group, which is called the Primary Purpose Group, and the origins of that group. There's a lot of uh, various uh, primary purpose groups across uh, the nation, and I think in other countries as well. Anyway, we talk about the Primary Purpose Group, where it is, and how it was originated. We talk about the manifestation of the allergy and the phenomenon of craving. And in this episode, Charlie basically lays out what we call, quote, the problem uh, where alcoholism is concerned. And, we fo- and we'll follow up at, at some point in the future with, quote, the solution and, quote, the plan of action. And, and, and we'll do that, like I said, on some following episodes. You'll notice that in this meeting, Charlie talks about a Zoom meeting that is conducted Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Central Time, and he gives out the 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 Zoom ID number, and there's no password to it. And I will, if I remember, <laughs> hopefully I remember, put this information in the show notes, and so you'll have that available there if you would like to tune in and uh, see what that meeting is all about. So, Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Mr. Charlie P. Enjoy this, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today, we are sitting here with the one and the only Mr. Charlie P. So, Charlie P., before I steal any of your thunder, I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you are in this great land of ours. Well, thanks, John. I'm Charlie P. I'm a very grateful alcoholic, and my sobriety date is March 22nd of 1985, for which I'm truly grateful. And my home group is the primary purpose group of, in Austin, Texas. We meet on Tuesday nights at 7.30. If you're ever in Austin, we'd love for you to come see us. We're at 2701 South Lamar, and, uh, and we've been going for 15 years, studying the big book line by line, week after week. And, and before, uh, in, in normal times, we, we have about 225 people on a Tuesday night studying the big book. So it's a, it's a, it's a great group. So how are you doing it now? Is it uh, virtual or a hybrid or what? Well, that's a good question. When when the whole uh, virus hit, we moved to a Zoom meeting. And at one point, we were having 600 people at the Zoom meeting. And it was having such a powerful effect that uh, when it came time to go back to live meetings, Austin started to open up a little bit. We There were too many people we'd come to love on the uh on the zoom meeting. So, so we couldn't just pull the plug on it because people were literally tuning in from all over the world. And we had people in Europe that were staying up till one in the morning, you know, to attend the meeting because they didn't have that kind of big book message in their community. So when we went back to the live meeting, um, we could only hold about a maximum of 60 people. Um, but we moved our Zoom meeting to Wednesday nights, and, and so we've been having the the Wednesday night meeting, and we're, and we're still running an average of 350 people on a on a Wednesday night. Uh, so it's it's been a lot of fun. Wow, 
That's good to hear. Very good to hear. So I want to go ahead. We had talked about it a little right before we started recording here, but you mentioned the, your your voice. I mean, you kind of have a raspy voice as it is, but you said it's a, a kind of a, a you're, you're having some challenges with it. Why don't you go ahead and explain to folks what's going on? Well, I like to apologize up front because everybody it make this it makes people want to clear their throat when they when they hear me talking it. And I've had throat issues since 2012, uh, but we we know enough to know that it's not cancer uh, and and it's very treatable. But I have to go in every so often and uh, and they trim a little something off my vocal cords. And the lighter I am the easier the procedure goes for the surgeon who we've come to love. And uh, he told me I needed to lose 30 pounds for, before we have the next procedure. And I was like, good God, man, that, that could be years, you know, <laughs> but, but uh, I'm, I'm halfway, I'm over halfway there and, and my daughter's taken on the case. So uh, it's, everything's going well, but if you can bear with my voice, I'll get through the talk, and and I mean I just won't be hitting any high notes uh, today <laughs> as we're, as we're talking. Well, so you so you said it is not cancer. Is it? I mean, can you kind of describe? I'm I'm just curious a little bit more. What is it? Well, one night, one day, a long time ago, I was grabbed in the throat by a police officer, and um, I can tell you that. My mouth was probably open when he did it because I think I think I was sharing too much of my opinion with him. But uh, <laughs> um, but but I've had throat issues. I've always been a little hoarse, and they were nodules on my vocal cords. And Nat King Cole made a lot of money with nodules on his vocal cords. But <laughs> it gets worse, and so now I go in, and it, it did. It was heading in the direction of cancer if it was left unattended. So I have to go in every few months, six months or so, and have them look at it. And then about every three years, I have to go in and make a little adjustment. Okay. Well, so, good. Well, yeah. But you're on. So you're you're on on the men, so to speak, or the prognosis is good. I am, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's. Uh, it's going to be. I told him. I said, you just keep me walking and talking, and if I have to come in every three years, you know. People are having to put up with a lot worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do want to, I want to talk about something else with you also. We, um, we spoke, oh gosh, probably uh, a month ago or two months ago or something like that and getting ready for this. And, you know, I was kind of coaching you through some of the technology and, you know, by the way, let's give a shout out to Mr. Bill C. Cause he is the one who uh, introduced you to me, but we were, we were, we were having a, uh, a conversation and you are uh, what is affectionately known as a circuit speaker. You know, you, you've been around a lot of the various conferences and such, and, you know, people bring you in to give your talk and all that sort of stuff. But you, which I found fascinating, and I've always, I've had these kind of conversations with Bill as well. You kind of said that at one point it got to be more, you didn't use this phrase, but like a job, but you said you felt like you were like a, like a paper boy at some point, right? Can you explain that a little bit? Well, I... There are a lot of people with a lot of different messages, and I, I'm not criticizing anybody that gives any kind of talk because we draw from all sides in AA. And you know, the, the talk that I might give might not be just right for some people, and there are other people who speak to them, and and, and God works all that out. But I I don't like to just go tell my story. I, I, um, 
I've heard my story for 35 years and I'm fascinated with it, but I get tired of, <laughs> I get tired of telling it. And so my experience is if I can't give an, a compelling message that's inspiring, because I, one of the things I hope we get around to talking about is that for me, it was kind of like what it was like, what happened, then what happened and what it's like now. And I've had some, some pretty, uh, dramatic experiences in recovery where it took on a whole new level. So I try to wrap my story around the steps and this new experience and, and, and compel people. I'm trying to speak to people that are suffering in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and also, you know, the new people, but compel them to take it up a notch to, to, to work a better AA program, to get more connected, to get, more unblocked and that sort of thing. And, but I think I just said in passing one time that at one point, Katie, my wife, Katie is uh, also very involved and, and a popular speaker. And, and, uh, and, and unfortunately this is a terrible time of the year where she has a year more sobriety than I do. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not my favorite, but one thing I'm grateful for is with us not going to conferences this year, we're not having to do sobriety countdowns where she gets to stand up uh, a tick longer than I right. do. <laughs> she likes to say, you know, if I'm struggling, she'll say, honey, just stick around for five more months and it'll start to make more <laughs> sense to you. <laughs> but um, in going so much, we did 24 and it's a, it's a deep honor to speak to an AA group and conference, whether it's, you know, 10 people or 10,000 people. But, it, it, there are a lot more, you know, the term circuit speaker is an interesting term to me because I, one time somebody said a person had come by intergroup and said she was a circuit speaker. Do you know her? I said, well, you know, first of all, I don't know if I know anybody that's a circuit speaker that would describe themselves as a circuit speaker. You know, it, to me, it sounds, it, it smacks of ego and mm. position. But back when I first came in, there were a number of conferences around the country and there was kind of a circuit, if you will, or, and, but now there's so many conferences and, um, you know, that you can, there, there's a lot of opportunities to speak and thank God for it. But what had happened was we did 24 events one year, 25 events the following year and 34 events the year after that. Wow. And, I, and I own a business and I have children and I'm very active in a couple of hobbies. And, and instead of like, oh boy, let's go bring a message. It started when I said I felt like a paper boy. It started feeling like I was throwing a paper out where I just, if, if the story loses its inspiration, it feels like I'm just throwing out a talk in Charlotte. And then the next week we're going to go throw out a talk in Phoenix and, and, if that's the case, I'd, I'd just as soon stay home and work with local people and let other people. But it's that's that's past. But um, I learned that when the hand of AA reaches out for help, it doesn't always have to be my hand that's there. It can be. We want the hand of AA to be there, but there's a lot of qualified people if, if there's a conflict or that sort of thing. But I think that's what I'm at. So I want to kind of shift gears here also a little bit. Uh, 
And, uh, and by the way, I can completely understand that, right? It's like, I have done like tons of traveling and, uh, mainly through work. And, you know, when you're young, uh, and you know, somebody says, okay, we're going to give you all expense paid, you know, trips to wherever you're going. It sounds really like the best thing ever. And eventually it becomes, it's another hotel, it's another rent a car, it's another airplane. And, you know, and, and, and it starts to get a little bit, uh, it, it loses some of its luster. I'll put it that way. But, you know, we're also very fortunate that most of the time, when we're going, both of us are talking because Katie gives a better AA talk than I do. And most people are using me to get to Katie, I think, uh, <laughs> including my sponsees. I think, I think sometimes they're like, if, the best advice I can give you is if I hand the phone to Katie. But uh, <laughs> but it's I, I think about it, being alone in a hotel room would be uh, different. And, and also while you're off being the AA hero, you got the wife and kids back at home, and sometimes, you know, they might give a different talk if they got to come up after me, you know? <laughs> I understand. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let me go ahead and uh, switch subjects here a little bit. You had mentioned that you are a member of the Primary Purpose Group in Austin. Uh, there, I, 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 I know, I, I, gosh, have I been to an actual PPG meeting? I don't. No, uh, I'm thinking of right off the top of my head. But uh, uh, let's talk about the PPG group. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of PPG? And um, and I think that there's almost also primary purpose group for OA and and various other things. But just in terms of PPG for AA, do you, can you give me some history there? Sure. And, and ours is an open meeting, as as I think all almost all of them are, so that whoever wants to come study the book. And the text uh, and the process can come whether they're OA or sex addicts or drug addicts or alcoholics and the Al-Anon, you know, that sort of thing, because we're studying the book. Um, you live in, in the area where the original one was, and there was a guy named Cliff B. that uh, he's passed away now, so I don't know if we get to use their last name once they've passed it anymore, but Cliff was going to a lot of discussion meetings and, and starting to feel like the message was being watered down. And, and so he, he decided to start an intense line-by-line big book study. Do you know when this was? Well, this is like the 80s, 70s. I mean, you don't have to have an exact date, but just around when, do you know? Well, let's see. We're in our 15th year. I bet they've been – I spoke at their 23rd anniversary, and that's got to have been eight or ten years ago. So okay, they've probably been – Probably in the late in the eighties. Okay, and what he did was he came up with a process for now. And the other thing I should say in advance is that our, the primary purpose group is named after uh, our fifth tradition, where it says our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics. Each group's primary purpose: stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. But that's also one of our traditions. There are groups that call themselves primary purpose that are not the big book study with the guide. And there are some groups that use the guide and but don't call themselves primary purpose group. They might be using the guide to, to facilitate the big book study, but they might call themselves the Wednesday night group. Or, okay, you know, so, so 
So there is a guide then. Correct. Who wrote the guide? Cliff. Cliff. And Myers had some role. Myers, my sponsor is Myers R. And before that, my um, deceased sponsor was Mark Houston. And then Jim F. from uh, my original sponsor, who I still love with all my heart. And just uh, he celebrated 42 years of sobriety yesterday. So that's uh, why I, I spoke with him at length. But uh, so Myers was involved with that as, you know, he helped some. And what it is, and it's funny because there are places where it's gotten some headwind because of, of the study guide. And people say, well, you know, I was raised in the 80s where they said no outside literature, you know, or it's not conference-approved literature. And and although there is a list of and, – and the big book – I mean, the GSO put out a paper in, in 79 that was very clear about the fact that just because there are conference-approved literature, that doesn't mean we have unapproved literature or things like that. You know, a, a group conscience can use – whatever literature they want. But in the eighties, there was a big influx of people wanting to bring in what color is your parachute or whatever. And, and I think there was, you know, and, and it was not a bad tradition to the not using a lot of outside literature because we want to keep our message pure. And, and I also, we have the tradition of, of autonomy for the group, but we also don't believe in using one tradition to break another tradition. So if we felt like, the, the study guide was actually a violation of everything but autonomy. It'd be divisive to, to be using it. But I guess what we say is that this study guide is, it goes through and it has basically a question. for. Well, I like to turn statements in the, in the big book into questions. And sometimes when it says uh, we have to be fully convinced that, you know, our lives run on self-will could hardly be a success. Sometimes I'll ask myself, am I convinced of that? You know, is that my current belief? But, you know, or is it just something I nod my head when they say I am? And so there is a question for nearly every sentence in, in the basic text. So what it would, it would say would like we would read the page and then we go back and you know, go through the questions and, and some will read the answers. In, in normal circumstances, we'd be passing a microphone around for people to answer the next line of the book. Uh, current, you can't, people are nervous about passing a microphone around. So we have one person read the page, another person asks the questions, another person answers the questions. But the questions might be like, you'd read the page and then you might go back and go, what was our dilemma? And the person would say, lack of power was our dilemma. And then the chairperson would say, what did we need to find? We had to find a power which could solve our problem. And what did this power need to be? It had to be a power greater than ourselves. Why? Obviously. You know, and it goes, it goes back. So we read it, then we do the Q&A, and then we go back and say, Are there any, is there any discussion um, on this page that we just read? Now, the, the big difference between our big book study and a lot of other really good big book studies, most of the big book studies that I've been to, you'd read a page or a chapter and, and people would talk about their experience with this page or that chapter. What we're trying to do is stay more away from personal experience and talk about if our founders found a message that they found important enough to put into book form, what information did they find important enough to put in there and in what order. 
And so basically we're studying the book to go, what are our founders saying and why are they saying it now? And getting clarity on that process, having the experience that they're trying to describe for us, and then carry that message. But of course, when we go out on a 12-step call, we're not taking the study guide with us. We're just, it's just us and our big books, you know, but, but uh, it's, it's been, it's been really effective. So, okay. So it sounds very similar to, I've also interviewed people on this particular podcast about uh, what's it called big book awakenings in the San Diego area. Huh? Is, is that comparable? Do you, do you know, have you been through that? Well, that, that's directly from my lineage on the book for when I was on Mark Houston. Um, huh. You know, Mark Houston and Joe Hawk were closely involved, did a lot of workshops together. And I always say, if you don't hear me say anything else, I get a hold of some Mark Houston recordings and, and listen to them that change your life. But um, uh, Joe Hawk. Mark hit a really strong bottom at nine years sober and Joe Hawk took him through the process and they wound up doing workshops together, becoming dear friends. And, and Joe also sponsored Dan Sherman who passed away and they wrote this thing called big book awakening. And what it was intended to be, is completely different from the, the PPG type process with the questions and answers Basically, what it is, is it's going through the way they would take somebody through the book and say, read this, write this in your border, you know, underline this, highlight that. And I, I, I think it's, if I was, sometimes with a small group, I find it to be very effective in, in somebody that's wanting a new experience. But I don't, everything it says to write in my book, I may or may not write in my book, but I'm going to consider everything that they mention and, and go, well, is that, you know, is this something I want to have in my book right here, or do I just want to take this into my thinking and, and that sort of thing? But it's um, it's another uh, helpful tool that, but you know, it's it's a uh, it's a one of the things I, I love the process because it's a lot of what my sponsorship lineage does: turning statements into questions, multiple inventory, sometimes multiple fifth steps. Uh, uh, you know that sort of thing, but um, but it doesn't work without the big book. You know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm my my go to is the big book. You know, and um, so it makes sense. All right, so I'm going to do a little break here. We will be continuing our conversation with Charlie P in just a moment. Just a reminder. You are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. You can also find the donate button on our website you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Charlie Pete. So, Charlie, I know there are going to be people that are listening to this right now uh and and we even talked about this uh, uh beforehand or actually I, I think we talked about it uh 
during the podcast. I can't remember, but there are people, especially over in in other countries besides the United States, that don't have this particular flavor of big book study. So a lot of people are going to be wondering how. What if I wanted to join that Wednesday night uh, meeting with you guys, or how do I get involved in something like a a PPG kind of study? Do you have any direction for them in order to well, do that? I can sure give you our Zoom information, and uh, it's uh, our Zoom information is six three zero five seven seven four seven three six three zero five seven seven four seven three, and there's no password, and we meet at seven thirty Central Time, Texas time, and uh, and so people can just extrapolate from that what time it is wherever they live but we we literally have people from all over the world bali and australia and south africa and new zealand and european countries it's a little tough for the european countries because it's wee hours um you know it's it's 2 30 in the afternoon in australia but um but we'd love to have them join us and maybe you can, uh, after this is over, send me a, a link to that. Just text it to me, and I can put it in what we call the, the show notes for uh, for a podcast. You've never done a podcast before, am I right? Or have no, you? and I want to thank you for t- getting me to up my audio system a little bit because the sound is terrific. So. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, so what, what Charlie means by that is he actually went out and uh, just for this got a, uh, a headset with a, a mic on it, which is absolutely van- and is, is it Bluetooth? Is that right? No, it's, oh, no, it's, it's USB. Wired, but and, and if we were on camera, I don't think it does with justice, but it's very <laughs> effective on, on the audio. <laughs> okay, so sometimes it takes me a little bit of time to get around to what we actually came here to talk about. And yeah. basically, you know, I want to talk about. Charlie P., what you were like, what happened, what you're like now. And, you know, I I have heard you once before tell that there's a story that you give regarding a a talking dog that uh, I I would love to hear if you're okay sharing that. I use it in a lot of talks to get things going, but we're going pretty well now. But, you know, in AA, we talk about coming from our own experience, and it's a very important part of you know, telling our AA stories because, and, and it always reminds me of this. There's a story that uh, I'm sure some of our listeners have heard before. Some of them may have even heard me tell it before, but it's a good joke and I like the way I tell it. So, (laughs) but it's about this guy that's driving along a little two lane farm road one day and he comes past this gate post and there's a sign that says talking dog for sale. He can't stand it. He goes up to the farmhouse where this old farmer's sitting there on the front porch. And he says, so you have a talking dog? And the guy goes, yeah, he's around back. And he wanders around back, and there's this old red hound dog laying there. And he looks at the dog, and he says, so, so you, you can talk? And the dog says, well, I certainly can. And he goes, well, my God, how did that happen? And he said, well, it's actually a very interesting story. He said, when I was young, I started picking up some of the language skills from humans that I interacted with. And then over time, I started developing some of the nuances of the language. I started working with slang and colloquialisms and local expressions. And it's just, it's expanded my life greatly. It's made for a fabulous life. I've stayed at some of the finest hotels of the world and I've traveled. I've had a 19-year career 
with the Drug Enforcement Administration. And I was able to infiltrate some scenes that no human agent would have ever gotten into. He said, but enough about me. More interesting than that, he said, some of my pups have developed foreign language skills and have become international diplomats. He said, in fact, two of my pups right now are in the United Nations building as international diplomats. And the guy shakes his head and he just goes, my God, it's just been fascinating talking to you. And he goes back out front where that farmer is sitting and he says, uh, man, um, how much do you want for that dog? And the guy goes, I don't know, 40 bucks. And he's like, why on earth would you ever sell a fabulous animal like that for $40? The farmer thinks for a minute and he goes, none of that crap he told you is true. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like that in our fellowship. It doesn't matter how good the story is if it's not my experience. (laughs) Drunks can smell BS from a mile away. That they can. All right. Well, so let's talk. I mean, do you want to talk about where did you grow up? Do you, I mean, you know, sometimes that's a very easy spot to to start, but I'll let you kind of roll into your story however you'd like to roll into it. You bet. Thank you. Um, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. I, I live in Austin, Texas now, but I grew up in Dallas. I was born in 1956. I'm 64 years old. And uh, uh, and I grew up, uh, you know, during the baby boom, and and uh, it was it was a funny time, you know, growing up. Where did you Where did you go to high school, and or did you go to high school here? Yeah, I would have gone. I grew up Keys, uh, W. H. Gaston Junior High, and I would have gone to Brian Adams, but we moved into the Skyline District, uh, my okay. ninth grade, and I I wanted to, I was the third class of Skyline High School. Back in the right. 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up in North Dallas, so, you know, I'm, I'm all familiar. By the way, something else we have in common is we are uh, both Dallas Cowboy fans. Because uh, oh, bless them. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's been a rough ride, but uh, we are both Cowboy fans. But anyway. If, if so I was in the office, up, it looks like a shrine to the Cowboys. Yeah. Katie <laughs> won't have it here at the house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you grew up in uh, Dallas, and I kind of got you off. off I come, uh, I come from a pretty normal family. I grew up in the the, the baby boom era, post World War II, uh, GI Bill. Um, a lot of things were going on. People had, you know, and you had these. When we say the baby boom, I mean the block that I grew up on had sixty-one children on it. Now, sixteen of them belonged to this one good Catholic family that lived there. But I mean, it was a, it was an interesting time in the, uh, uh, it was kind of coming out of the fifties, but just rolling into the sixties and the, the hippie era and the, and the, and the, and the uh, flower child era. And then of course drugs kind of infiltrated the, the hippie movement. And, and, and then Vietnam war was very, prevalent and on tv every night and next thing you know is don't trust anybody over 30 and 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 things like that but but i i my family growing up was pretty normal my dad was a salesman my mother was uh, my sainted 98 year old mother who's uh i mean well she'll be 98 in about three weeks uh and we thank god because i it's given me time to almost make amends to her you know, <laughs> but um, she was a school teacher, 
And I was very well prepared. She was a first grade school teacher for 42 years. And I was very well prepared for the first grade. I actually kind of kicked ass in the first grade. But I, it was flashcards and spelling bees and, you know, you name it. And so, but I mean, and I also had a sister that was uh, kind of perfect. My sister was high, you know, National Honor Society, first chair, flute player, drum majorette, exceedingly beautiful, smart, pretty, and, and then there was me, you know, and I also, one of the things I like to say is that I grew up under the burden of potential. I heard a lot about my potential when I was growing mm-hmm. up. You know, why can't you just apply yourself? And if you could be more like Charles Malaire across the street. And, and I remember thinking, Mom, I'm, I'm really not holding back that much. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it, you know, the thing I like to say, the reason I say all that is because none of that made me alcoholic, though. You know, the, the pressure, the potential, the Baptist upbringing, uh, good family, bad I mean, when I say I had a good family, I've heard enough fifth steps over the years to know a lot of people had it a lot worse than I did uh, work growing up. Yeah, had a pretty decent household. But none of that stuff made me alcoholic. And, and I think a lot of us spend a lot of time on our way to or when we get to alcoholics. And I was trying to figure what is it that made me alcoholic? And I've come to think that it's not even really that important, you know. I mean, it's it's kind of like if you're out hiking in the woods and you look up and there's a mountain lion poised to pounce on you. It doesn't really matter how he got there, you know. It's, it's not like you're going to stop and go, well, that's odd. They're not typical for this region, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so what what does make me alcoholic? is beautifully described in the doctor's opinion in the first 44 pages of the book. And that's that I have, I have two problems with alcohol. One happens to me when I drink it. And the other one happens to me when I don't drink it. And if you could see me right now, you'd see me pumping my two fists together because that's, I've been doing that for a long, long time, but it's one happens when I drink it. The other one happens when I don't drink it. And the first piece is the physical aspect of alcoholism that, that I have something, I have a, I'm bodily different from other people. And my sister, just, and, and the, Dr. Silkworth says, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. Uh, and and, and the, the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. This phenomenon, and I like to break that down because this is not the language any of us used on our way to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and so when it says manifestation of an allergy, an allergy is we're just going to call it an abnormal physical reaction. You know, if I respond differently to strawberries than most people, um, that, that, that would be an abnormal physical reaction. And the manifestation just means the way it presents itself. So I, I'm also allergic to poison ivy, and the way that manifests is if I get in it, I break out in a terrible rash, and it spreads like the way my allergy to alcoholism manifests is described in the doctor's opinion and the first 23 pages of the book is that I have this phenomenon of craving, and that when I take a drink, 
something happens that only happens to about 10% of the population. It, only, it doesn't happen to my mother. It doesn't happen to my sister. Only about 10% of the population, in, in my understanding, even has the potential to become alcoholic because of this physical reaction to booze. And, and, and it basically, when I drink vodka, it triggers a craving for more booze that I can't control on my own power. Now, where it gets complicated is, in my mind, I never thought I triggered a phenomenon of craving. I would, you know, you know how you'd, so let's say we go in after work and we're just going to go have a couple of drinks after work and I blow the, you know, everything apart. I never would have thought that I triggered a phenomenon of craving. I just thought I changed my mind. You know, that after a couple of drinks, you know what, I've decided to stay, you know, and I'll leave and there's always a new plan. I'll leave in 30 minutes. I'll meet you for dinner. I'll be there tomorrow. You know, but, but the end result is always disastrous. And it's, it's a interrupt if, I, if I'm going too long, but it, you know, the, the, the second piece of it is this physical reaction is a terrible problem. You know, that when I drink, it's, I, it goes out of control over me until I, but the second piece of it, if, if my biggest problem was what happens to me when I drink four ounces of vodka, my solution would be very simple. It would just be don't drink vodka, you know, knock it off. But they, that's where the second fist bumps into the first one because the second piece is that I don't get okay when I stop drinking. When I stop drinking, my it seems like my life would, you know, to my mother, it seemed like he's a good boy when he's not drinking. But she didn't understand what happens to me when I don't drink, and neither did I at the time. That when I stopped drinking, I don't get okay. In fact, it feels like somebody turns the heat. On page 23, after it's been talking about all the physical reactions to alcohol, you know, it says these observations wouldn't mean squat. Well, it says it would be academic and pointless, but it means it wouldn't mean squat if our guy never took the first drink. So what happens is, and the book talks about it a lot, you know, about being restless and irritable and discontented and, and that sort of thing. And, I, you know, I don't like the idea of being described as irritable, but it's not my fault if after a week or so without a drink I become keenly aware of how stupid everybody else is. You know? <laughs> and, and so what happens over a period of time, I start getting uncomfortable and I start, you know, things start bugging me. And if you had a thousand foot camera on me, you'd be able to tell within a day or two um, when I'm about to twist off again, because what happens is I get so uncomfortable that the obsession to drink returns I'm powerless over managing that obsession. It, it brings me to taking the first drink. And then when I take the first drink, it triggers the phenomenon of craving. So we get caught in this terrible cycle where I drink until I have to stop. And then I stop until I have to drink. Mm -hmm. And I drink till I have to. And I tell the guys I work with, don't ever say it can't get any worse. That just shows a lack of imagination. You know, <laughs> three years from now, we might be going, boy, I wish I'd quit back in 2021 when things were still going pretty good. You know, so it's, it's important. I think it's an important piece of being able to lay out this 
what our problem is because none of this is stuff we knew on our way to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, this is all stuff I've learned since I got here. And if you think about it, remember when you would swear to God you're never going to drink again and your people would look up and I'm drunk again or I have a drink in my hand, and they'd always ask that question. They'd always say, why did you start drinking again? And we give them the only answer we've got, which is what? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. God almighty, I don't know. It's just what I do. You know, so by the time I get here, I'm thinking disease my butt. There is something bad wrong with me because I make promises that I don't keep. And that feels like I mean it with every fiber of my being. And, uh, and I hurt people that care about me a great deal. And, and, and so but being able to break down for that guy that he has a, a, a these has a physical reaction and a mental obsession. And the, even if that's not bad enough to scare him towards the power, and then we can bring in the mental blank spot and more about alcoholism and talk about sometimes you know, you can't prepare for suddenly, you know, suddenly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Charlie, this is fantastic. I'm eating this up. You could probably see me taking a lot of notes over okay. here for a variety of reasons. Number one, I want to capture it. Uh, number two, I want to make sure that uh, um, we get this message out. We get your message out or Alcoholics Anonymous message out to all four corners of the world. Now, here's what I run into with guys like you, and I mean this in a very complimentary way, is that you have an incredible amount of content. Right. Uh, I'm coming to the end of uh, my time available today. So why don't we do this? That is kind of a, what I would call kind of laying out the problem, what you've done there on the front uh -huh. end. Of this, right. That's very good. We can pick this back up and talk about more of the solution or whatever you want to talk about next time we get together. Would oh, you I'd be okay that. with that? No, the only thing I would insert here mm -hmm. is what made AA a big deal is an understanding of three things, an understanding of the problem with alcoholism, an understanding of a solution for our problem, and then a program of action that would bring about that solution. And the book is full of instances where they only had two out of three. So basically what we've done tonight is talk about my home group a little bit and talked about the problem. And, you know, and I'd love to pick it up on another talk and talk about the solution and the program of action. You got it. I would love, love, love to have you back. And uh, I also am going to put a little tickler in here for uh, uh, your uh, spouse at some point, if she would like to come on as well. I think it'd be great to talk to her. But first I'll, of all, I'll warn you in advance, she's kind of like getting a drink from a fire hose, but um, <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, you guys have just been married for how long have you been married now? Uh, married in our 12th year and we've been a couple for 17 years and then we were best friends for 20 years before that wow wow so you've known each other for quite some time so and was it a boy meets girl on AA campus kind of situation we were like brother sister the first 20 years I was at her first wedding uh, her kids grew up calling me Uncle Charlie and then her husband passed away and one day she 
caught me in a weak moment and made a move on me. And, <laughs> <laughs> and she'll back that story up. But um, we um, we became a couple 17 years ago. Ah, very I, nice. Very I nice. wish I'd had time to work in the pawn shop story tonight. But we'll, we'll have we to can, start with that next time. There you go. We will start with the pawn shop story, okay? All right, so what I always do just to close it out here is to read from page 164 of the big book. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Mr. Charlie P., thanks for joining me. Well, it's such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. God bless. That was so cool spending time with Charlie, like we both referenced there. We're going to get him back on some follow-up episodes. Um, I'll look forward to that. I know you will look forward to that as well. So now, on to a little bit of listener feedback for you. Now remember, before I go on to that, we don't want you sharing your gossip, nor do we want you sharing your STD, but we would love for you to share this episode with a fan, friend or family member. If you enjoyed Charlie P, it may be just what they need today. All right, now on to a little bit of a listener feedback. And the first piece of listener feedback is from Jim S. This is a voicemail. Uh, Jim is from South Carolina. I'm going to let you listen to this. Hello, John. This is Jim S. from Greenville, South Carolina. I just want to tell you how sad I am and how sorry I am to hear about the death of your young friend, uh, the young lady that you talked about in the episode last week. I wish her family and you and your family the very best as you uh, deal with the grief of this tragedy. And I want to thank you for, for sharing with uh, Sober Speak listeners your vulnerability, uh, your humanity, your openness. I appreciate so much what you do for, uh, for all of us on Sober Speak. And I wish you the very, very best over this sad, unfortunate uh, tragedy that befell your young friend. Thank you, John. Jim, thank you so much, my friend. Um, as I said when I was sharing that story, and you don't know what Jim's talking about, I, I'm not going to go over it here again. Well, here's what I will tell you is that an extended family member of mine uh, lost their life uh, due to a murder, and um, it was uh, crushing in many ways. Nonetheless, Jim, I really appreciate you sharing uh, that voicemail. Uh, you are a good man. I appreciate you, and I appreciate everything that you've done for and around Sober Speak. And God bless you, my friend. I know you've had some struggles of yours as well. Thanks for sharing that. And on that note, by the way, I received many, many messages, and, and I'm not reading all of them. Uh, I, I just don't want to make this about 
a John M. type of uh, uh, episode. Uh, so, but I did receive one more message that I'm going to read uh, on the air, and it was from Jonathan. And Jonathan writes in, he says, thoughts and prayers. He says, hi, John. I listened to the podcast today, and I wanted to reach out to let you know that you and your family are in my thoughts and prayers. Thank you for the courage to speak out about your experience, and I know it has and will make an impact on many people. Well, thank you, Jonathan, and that's precisely why I did that. Um, I, I, I thought if somebody, anybody, can benefit from this, uh, hopefully, uh, by bringing this uh, in a public on a, in a public venue on a public venue, uh, this will be helpful. And then Jonathan goes on to say, domestic violence and alcoholism are very similar in that both want you isolated. Well said, Jonathan. Well said. I, I never put those two together, but that is very well said. He says, it was hard to hear your story, but again, by sharing, I know you have helped one and saved two. God bless, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan, again. I really appreciate that. Matthew A. direct messages me on the Instagram. And Matthew says, John, I absolutely love the podcast. It's my meeting between meetings, big smiley face. He said, I just find the show helps me so much to wind down at the end of an evening after a tough day's working or looking after my three children. I am nearly nine months sober and out of rehab uh, after hell for 20 years. I'm learning every day and starting to get a life. From Liverpool, UK, Great Britain, Matthew. Well, thank you, Matthew. God bless you. And oh, and I'm so glad for you and your children. Sounds like you are on the right path, my friend. And thank you for all the, and you got little hearts in there and praying hands. And I appreciate that. Kim writes in and Kim says, hi, John. This is Kim again. I am still loving your podcast. You find the best speakers. And you know, that's what I think the secret to this thing is. Like I've said before, I don't think people are tuning into this to hear my gibberish and, you know, stupid dad jokes and all that kind of stuff. I, I think they come in because we bring good content. And what I mean by good content is we have great speakers and such wisdom in Alcoholics Anonymous. And my job is, is just to provide a platform for those pe those people. Anyway, she says, I just listened to Matthew M. and I loved him. Now I am going back to listen to the rest of his visits with you. Even though I am in Al-Anon, your speakers are speaking my language. Your podcast is sure helping me to keep straight, and I need this, quote, meeting between meetings you give us all. We are blessed that you continue to do what you do. Thanks a million, Kim J. Well, Kim J., thank you. It takes all of us. Right. And I just happen to have the mic here and I put the technology together and I bring these things together, but it takes all of us. If I was just sitting here doing this by myself, it wouldn't be worth it. And it's for, through all the listener feedback and people like you listening in. And like I said, I've, I've said a million times before, I know there's people that I never will meet or hear from. And that's okay. I would love to bring all of you. <laughs> <laughs> It'd have to be a big room. I was going to say into a bigger. We'd have to have a stadium, actually. I would love to bring all of you into a stadium and just stand there and 
you know, talk with you and give you big hugs and all that sort of stuff. Obviously, that's not possible, especially in a corona world. But nonetheless, uh, thank, thanks a million to you, Kim J, for listening. Alex T. writes in, he says, Hello, John, my name is Alex T. and I live in Morris County, New Jersey. He says that's in North New Jersey. And my sobriety date is 6 15, June 15th of 2019. I began listening to Sober Speak a few weeks ago. I am very fortunate in that I have the opportunity to listen while I am at work. I have been making my way through all of your past episodes, and I just have to say that I love it. A dear friend of mine likes to say that those who truly practice the principles in all their affairs radiate, in quotes, recovery. I can hear it in the way you speak and in the way you interact with your guest. Your energy is contagious and sober speak has become a bright spot in my life. I am truly grateful to live in a day and age that affords us wonderful opportunities for, quote, recovery at your fingertips, such as your podcast. I will do my best to provide you with some feedback regarding your speakers as I am able in future emails. Until then, thank you for your service. May God bless you and your family. Keep trudging, my friend. And he said, P.S., would you kindly add me to the super secret Facebook group? My email associated with my Facebook is such, such and such. Thank you, Alex. Alex, um, I don't know if I quote, radiate recovery, but I do like that vision. Uh, and I know people that do radiate recovery and, and I so much like your description of that. God bless you, my friend. Uh, and as you know, we got you that, um, uh, invite out for the Facebook or Lisa C. writes in and she says, Hi, John, I would love to be in your super secret Facebook group. I'm nearly eight months sober and I live in Australia. Well, hello there, Miss Lisa C. She says, I became, I became sober online during COVID and I listen to your podcasts every night in bed and fall asleep to them. If I wake up in the middle of the night, they are still playing, so I think I am getting constant AA, <laughs> AA reinforcement via my subconscious. Oh, I love that, Lisa. I love being sober. I get that, Lisa. I do. My life has changed in so many ways. No more chaos, confusion, anger, obsessive thoughts. It has been all replaced with peace, and appreciation for the life I have now. I am part of an online daily strength support for alcoholism and journal there every day and have an amazing tribe of friends with me there that give me love and support daily, one day at a time. Cheers, Lisa. Well, cheers back to you, Lisa. And just so you know, I want to read that again. The online, um, I guess, uh, support group that she is part of is called Daily Strength Support group. I know nothing about it, but apparently Lisa's getting something from it, and I'm sure glad you are. And if anybody from that group is listening in, hello. You can tell Lisa we said hello, okay? 
Thanks a lot. Okay, Trudy posted this in the secret Facebook group. So what she had done, she had listened to Matthew M's episode on steps eight and nine. And in there, he he uh, he said in the episode itself, Matthew M. He says, when you go through the steps yourself, you have a certain experience with them. When you start to guide other people through the steps, you have a continually renewed experience. And so that was posted in the Facebook group. And Trudy said, I love this description. When you guide someone through the steps, you have a renewal of your spiritual experience. I am so grateful that I have been blessed to be working the steps with a few sponsees, praying hands, praying hands, big hearts. And then she says, this program amazes me every day with a exclamation point. Thank you for posting that, Trudy. Appreciate it. Katen writes in, K-A-T-E-N, just in case you're wondering, what did John M. just say right there? And Katen says, the, the subject line was just trying to make it. And it starts, hey, John, so I sent you an email about a year and a half ago, about a year and a half ago. I had just gotten out of treatment. I was the one with the necrotizing fasciitis. And if I remember right, that is like a skin eating type disease from bacteria or something like that. Now, I'm not a doctor, so don't take that at at a face value, but I believe that's what it is. Anyway, Caden says it's been a rough road. I relapsed at about I relapsed at about ten months of sobriety last year, and I just got out of treatment again February third. My sobriety date is now November twenty seventh, twenty twenty. Now, I've had multiple sobriety dates, and I'm tired of letting everyone down. I listen to your podcast religiously. I overdosed on Thanksgiving and my oldest son was home and he had seen me. I am so embarrassed of my behavior and ashamed of how I've lived my life. My wife is my number one fan and she has never given up on me when she should have many times. I read this book called The Four Agreements when I was in treatment and has changed my perspective, John, and now I'm approaching and in how I'm approaching life. Today, I'm happily three months sober and working on myself daily. Thank you for all you do for all of us junkies and drunks out here, smiling face. You're an inspiration, and all of your guests are incredible. Thanks again, my friend. Yours truly, Katen B. Thank you, Katen. I don't know how much of an inspiration I am. I know my guests are incredible. And I appreciate you, my friend, and thanks for keeping me posted. And once again, I'm, I'm so glad that it sounds like you are on the right path. And the reason I read these things is because I know, I mean, I absolutely know when I read these things, there are thousands upon thousands of people out there, folks, that are listening in and they say, I can relate to that. I know they can. I can relate to it. I know I was in and out for three years, Caton, and um, I, I, I understand that. 
And I understand embarrassing people, embarrassing my family, letting everyone down, letting myself down. And so anyway, I'm glad you're on the right path, and, uh, and I'm glad you wrote in. Last but not least, Jamie writes in. She's I, Jamie. Uh, is a Jamie a, 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 a she? It could be a he. It could be a she. Generally speaking, it is a she. So I'm going to go from the perspective of this is a she. If I get it wrong, Jamie, just send me an email and lambast me. I'm good with that. Jamie says, hello there. My name is Jamie P. And my sobriety date is September 25th of 2018. I live in Elam, Washington, C-L-E-E-L-U-M, Washington. And I just discovered your podcast. I run my own small business with my mom, which is a bistro. See, why'd you have to do that? Now I'm hungry, Jamie. Have to throw out the word bistro like this. At first, when I first saw your email, I thought bistro, you know what I started thinking as I started thinking about the people who work in coffee shops who make the coffee real good? And then I thought, no, 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 that's not bistro. That is a barista. So my apologies for even thinking that. And that's probably way too much information about the inner workings of my little pea brain than you ever needed. But nonetheless, Jamie goes on and she says, sometimes I find it hard to get as many meetings as possible, but I love listening to the podcast. My email is such and such. Thank you so much. And she wanted to be part of the secret Facebook group and we got her out that invitation and so if you, by any chance, live in Cleelum, Washington, and you know a bistro's around town, and you walk in there, it may be worth it just to say, hey, is your name Jamie? And it could be a man, it could be a woman. <laughs> know for sure but nonetheless and then she winds it up with big praying hands and big praying hands back at you jamie all right everybody that's another week under our belt i always take this one week at a time god bless you all keep coming back it works if you work it I've been praying for you throughout the week. I hope that things are well with you. And uh, we'll all just take this one day at a time. God bless. Love you guys.